Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. We are so glad that you're here today, that you've joined us, whether you're here in person or online. Thank you for coming and being with us in our in our worship time together. <clears throat> Wade has asked me to bring you a sermon this morning. Uh, as he and Heather are away, we look forward to them getting back next Sunday. We're so blessed to have him as our lead minister, as uh, he is such a gifted communicator and proclaims the gospel with power and clarity. <clears throat> Last Sunday, John Seibert continued our series of uh, lessons through the book of Acts at the end of Acts chapter 4, and he, he talked about a time when the, the believers uh, demonstrated this amazing transformation that had been brought about in their lives uh, by being followers of Jesus. It was a wonderful, inspiring time in story. But it made me wonder, it made me start thinking, why don't we see more of that in churches today? What is it that they had that we don't have? How, how can we experience the kind of wonderful things that we see the believers experience in Acts chapter 4? Now, <clears throat> you may think, well, <laughs> that's just like the life I live right now. Everything's great. You know? If so, you may not get a lot out of what we're going to say today. I hope you have some time to read the Bible or pray or whatever. But if not, if uh, if you go, well, that seems a little different than my journey of faith, my life in Christ, then I think most of us can identify with that. What is it that makes that difference? Maybe you can identify or relate to uh <clears throat> a man that a preacher named John Ortberg talked about. They uh, they had a guy in the in the church there. Well, first of all, it came to his attention because somebody from OSHA, the governmental agency for overseeing safety and health in the workplace, uh, had come to see John at his office. And he welcomed him in. He was kind of confused why he was there, but he welcomed him in, and they started talking. And immediately, the guy started talking about loud decibel levels of, in places like airports and rock concerts and, and things like that. And John was getting even more confused. He didn't understand why this guy was talking to him about this stuff until it finally dawned on him what must have happened. 
You see, they had a guy there at the church. He was there when John came as to, to be the pastor there at the church. And he was, he was, oh, he'd been a member of the church there for 50 years. And he was always complaining about things. He would complain about the government. He would complain about his job. He would complain about his family. He would complain about the economy. He would complain about the church. And he had gotten on this kick where he thought the music in church was too loud. And he would talk to everybody he could about it. He would go into the the foyer and, and see total strangers, you know, visitors to the church and say, don't you think the music here is too loud? Well, finally, the leaders of the church had to sit down with him and say, look, you, you, you need to stop doing that. That's disruptive. It's really not helpful. Please, please don't do that. And they thought that was the end of it. But apparently, when he didn't get satisfaction in the church, he decided to file a complaint with OSHA about this was dangerous. And when Ortberg realized what had happened, he kind of started laughing. And then he apologized to the guy from OSHA. He said, I'm, I'm not making light of this. I appreciate what you do. But it just occurred to me what must have happened. And the guy said, you think it sounds silly to you. You should hear all the grief I've been taking from people down at the office because I'm busting a church for too loud. <clears throat> Hank had been a follower of Jesus for 50 years. When he became a child of God, he was a young, cranky guy. And now he was an old, cranky guy. And being a, a follower of Jesus, being a disciple, hadn't seemed to make really any significant difference in who he was or what he did. Now, Hank's got a lot of company. He's not alone. I, I don't necessarily mean talking about complaining, although come to think of it, I've known quite a few people in the churches that seem to excel in complaining too. But in being the same as he always had been, you didn't really see any kind of transformation taking place in Hank and who he was and how he lived. And I, I don't think Hank is alone in that. I mean, I think a lot of people can say that. Why is it that we see such incredible transformation in the believers in Acts 4? And we look around at, at people we know who are followers of Jesus today, and we may have known them for five or 10 or 20 or 50 years. And they basically are pretty much the same as they were when we first met them, or for that matter, when they first met Jesus. What, why, why is that happening? Well, I, I don't think it was Hank's fault alone. I think perhaps one of the factors that was pretty significant is that Nobody in his church really expected him to be any different, to change, to grow, to be transformed. They just, Hank would go off on something and they would just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, oh, well, that's just Hank. That's just who he is. And there was no expectation for anything to ever be any different. <clears throat> is that the same as we have here at Greenville Oaks? Do we really not expect anyone to change, to grow, to be transformed as followers of Jesus? Do we just expect them to be the same as they always have been, just with a, a nice coat of Christianity on top of it? 
we have expectations of people. I'm sure Hank's church had expectations of him. They expected him to, well, kind of like we do. We expect people to come to worship, at least occasionally. They expected people to give as they were able to give. We expect people to stay away from certain things that are just blatantly inappropriate for somebody that claims to be a follower of Jesus. But do we really expect that God is going to transform people into something different than who they are? In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says, Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. The word that's translated transform here is in the original, it's metamorpho, which obviously we get our word metamorphosis from. We're talking about a major, significant, substantial, radical change. It's happening. Paul uses another form of that same word in Galatians 4.19 when he says, My dear children, once again, just like a mother in childbirth, I feel the same kind of pain for you until Christ's nature is formed in you. The transformation that God desires, that he intends for us to have, is something that will make us radically different than who we were when we started. It's what God expects. You see, when Jesus called people to follow him, he always expected that they would change. And they were. Following Jesus makes a difference in how we live because as Paul suggests, it changes our minds. It, It changes who we see God as and who we see ourselves and how God is at work in the world. Sadly, for many of us, that's really kind of foreign to us. Oh, oh, not the not the concept. Theoretically, we're all for that. We can talk about it or we hear other people talk about it and we nod knowingly and agree and it's all good. But when you get down to the actual reality of the situation, it's a different matter. Because when someone expects us to be in a transformation process. We said, wait a minute, come on, let's be realistic about this. We are who we are, right? And when we're reacting like that, it indicates that we don't have an expectation for change of ourselves or other people the way Jesus did. I'm not saying we don't believe Jesus meant what he said. We do. When he talked about being in the kingdom of heaven and that would we would be transformed, we, we agree with that. But when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we th- we're thinking of something in the afterlife. You know, after this life is over, when we get to heaven, then we'll be gloriously changed. We will have, we, we will have this, this new existence. And that's true. But that's not what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about what's going on right here and right now. He said, it's here. And the transformation God wants for you is something that he wants for you here and now. Why do we, why do we not experience it? I think largely because we settle for less. We hear what Jesus says and we assign that to something later. 
something in heaven when Jesus wants it right here and right now. But not only that, another thing that we substitute for the kind of transformation God calls us to experience is outward appearances, the things that we do. You see, every group has its boundary markers, certain things, highly visible things that people do that indicate whether they are in a group or not. In the first century, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and those people, they really focused on a few things very, very intensely. Sabbath keeping, dietary laws, and circumcision. Those were the big three. Those were the boundary markers for them. They were all very evident uh, outward appearance kind of things. They weren't the most important things if you read the prophets, but that was something that was tangible, physical, that you could look at and evaluate. And Jesus said, that's not cutting it. When we focus on outward appearance, on boundary markers, we fail to see the most important things that are the elements of transformation. <clears throat> Historically, we've had boundary markers in our churches. When I was younger, a boundary marker was that was really focused on was daily quiet time. If someone had asked me, are you growing spiritually? I would immediately say, okay, am I having my daily quiet time the way that I need to? Am I doing it every day? Am I spending long enough at it? Am I reading enough of the Bible? Are my prayers sincere enough? Because as long as we focus on, added, on actions and mechanics, we never have to deal with those really difficult questions like, am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I growing in my love for God and for other people? Which is what Jesus is really wanting us to become. <clears throat> other boundary markers that we had were doctrinal. Oh, we really excelled in this. Most of the time, those were about how we do church. You know, the kind of worship we had, the organization of the church, the name of the church, the different teachings of the church, all of that. And if you, if you got outside the lines on any of those things, people got really, really upset. But nobody seemed to get really concerned if we had been a Christian for 5 or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. And like Hank, we were basically the same as we were when we started. And I understand that that's an easy thing to do because it's much easier to look at the external stuff and the appearances, the things you can see that are visible. But those don't accomplish the kind of transformation that God wants us to have. And so we, when we look at our churches today, we see people who are filled with the same anxiety and anger and critical spirit and self-centeredness or anything you want to say as all the neighbors around us. God's design is something very different than that. And that brings us to Acts 4, our passage for today. <clears throat> In Acts 4, Peter and John had healed a man who was lame since he was born. Forty years 
Now, if somebody has been there and you've been seeing him for 40 years and he can't walk and suddenly he can, that gets everyone's attention, right? And everyone came running. They were wondering what in the world had happened. How in the world did this occur? And Peter explains to them it was in the name of and by the power of Jesus that this man can walk. But then the religious leaders hear about what's going on and they are really unhappy about this. And they have Peter and John thrown into jail overnight. The next morning, they call them on the carpet to explain their actions. And here's what Peter says, Acts 4, verse 10. This is what Wade read a couple of weeks ago. Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and he quotes the Old Testament scripture, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, but for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Boom. If there was ever a mic drop moment, that was it. I mean, what do they say to that? How can they respond to that? These were the guys that had gotten rid of Jesus, thinking he was a threat to them. And Peter and John are still talking about it, and they are upset. But how do you respond to that? These were the religious leaders, but they weren't just the religious leaders. They were the political leaders, because in those days, it was all wrapped up into one And they were not only the power brokers of that country, they were the intelligentsia. They were the ones that knew everything. And here, Peter and John, some country bumpkin unknowns, uneducated, they come in and they put the elites in their place. How does that happen? Well, the way a couple of nobodies put the elites in their places, the key is found, I believe, in the next verse, Acts 4 Verse 13, when they saw, talking about the leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Well, duh, of course they were. And they took knowledge, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What happened to the unschooled, ordinary men? that put them in their place, that showed them up, and they didn't have a response. They had spent time with Jesus. They walked with him and talked with him. They listened to him. They watched him. They imitated him. They became like him. And when they received that kind of training and that kind of power, nothing was going to stop them. It was done. We love transformation stories, don't we? We love going to the movies and seeing the latest Marvel superhero film of whatever it is. And man, they have got some wonderful special effects in those things. Computer graphics are great, right? But as great as they are, the storyline, the plot hasn't changed since I was a little kid and I'm really old. Back when I was a kid, some of you can remember this, Clark Kent went into the phone booth and changed into Superman. Well, they don't need a phone booth anymore. Dr. Strange just twirls his cape or whatever, and voila, it's all done. 
But the thing is the same. We love people who are transformed into something powerful and wonderful. The kind of transformation that God is talking about here doesn't happen that way. It's not an instantaneous thing. But it starts with training. It starts with spending time with Jesus. A couple of months ago, Wade preached a sermon and he talked about we need to stop trying harder and start training if we're going to grow spiritually as disciples of Jesus Christ. Training is really, really important. Now, in our fellowship, in our heritage, we have primarily focused on education and knowledge when we want to form disciples. And folks, that is really important. That is vital. It is absolutely essential that we know the Word of God, that we continue to embrace and dig deeper into God's Word. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and get this, and training in righteousness. That's what we're talking about. We need to study. We need to know the Word of God. But growing as a disciple doesn't happen from studying the Word alone. I've known some college professors who have forgotten more about the Bible than I ever knew. But when I look at their lives, I don't see a lot of transformation. And that's not anything new. You... The research indicates very clearly that education alone never really results in lasting change. I mean, you may know that those French fries or that slice of pie or that chocolate candy or whatever it is that's your favorite thing isn't good for you, for your body, for your health. But knowing that alone doesn't necessarily keep you from enjoying it, right? To train, we have to do more than just learn, than just know. How did Peter and John do things that we can't even imagine doing? <clears throat> Why were they able to respond to this incredibly difficult situation in an unbelievably powerful way? Because they had spent years with Jesus, learning and growing and developing and becoming more like their Savior, their Master. Living toward spiritual maturity has to include practicing things. One concert pianist who was world-renowned was once asked why he insisted on practicing every day. And he responded by saying, if I miss one day, I can tell a difference. If I miss two days, my coach can tell a difference. If I miss three days, some people in the audience can tell a difference. It doesn't matter if you're a brand new follower of Jesus or you've been a child of God for 50 years. We never stop training. We never stop practicing. But when we enter into this journey of transformation, it is an amazing, it is an amazing ride. One that's incredibly, incredibly a blessing. Reminds me of something I read about over 50 or 60 years ago. There was a couple in Europe who wanted to immigrate to America. They didn't have a lot, but they sold their farm and all of the possessions that had any value to them so that they could purchase 
a passage to this to the states to America, and they allowed themselves one extravagance. They both got one nice set of clothes to wear on the on the boat. They had transatlantic flights back then, but it was new and very, very expensive. So they booked passage on a cruise ship that was the smallest, cheapest room that they could possibly get. And they had taken with them a couple of loaves of bread and some peanut butter so that they would be able to eat. Because they had heard about the fine dining rooms on these ships and how wonderful the meals were. And they knew that anything like that would be very, very expensive. And they didn't have any money. They had given it all just to book passage for the trip. So they would dress in their nice clothes before dinner and they would walk around the decks of the ship and they would smile and nod and greet people. And when they would get close to the dining room, they would smell that aroma of the wonderful food coming. And they would look inside the dining room and they would see this exquisitely decorated place and they would think how wonderful it must be to be able to afford to go in there. But they would just walk on by and go to their room and have their peanut butter sandwich. On the last day, when they were steaming into the harbor in New York, they were, all the passengers were gathered around the, the deck of the ship, looking at the sights. And they were standing there, and some lady nearby said to her companion, I'm sure glad that we're at the end of this cruise. If I was, if I, we had, this went on a day or two longer, I don't think I could fit in any of my clothes. I have eaten so much in those dining rooms. And the man overhearing this said, oh, it must be wonderful to be able to afford to do that. She said, I, I don't understand. What, what, what do you mean? And he explained to her their situation, how they had, they had sold everything they had just to book passage on the ship. And they knew they didn't have any money for the, for the meals there. So they had brought their bread and peanut butter. And she said, oh, dear, don't you know? That's included in the price of your ticket. We didn't pay anything extra for that. It was free to you for coming. And sometimes I think that's what our Christian lives are like. We see and we hear about, we read stories about people that have experienced this incredible transformation. And we think, I could never afford to do that. We're willing to make a sacrifice to get to the eventual destination that we, we hear is so wonderful and beautiful and gorgeous in heaven with God. But we think that we have to eke out an existence on our own. When God, I think, just shakes his head and says, oh dear, don't you realize when I purchased your ticket through the blood of Jesus Christ to get you here, that it's all included. And all you have to do is experience it. God wants our following Jesus, our discipleship to be filled with riches and blessings and things beyond what we can imagine. But we have to stop walking around the deck 
nodding and smiling at people and then going back to our room and just eating the little bit that was squandered away there. The journey of discipleship adds depth and richness and blessing to our lives. And I hope and I pray that you'll want to begin that journey and experience some of that incredible transformation that God is still doing in people's lives today. We have something here at Greenville Oaks we call the Discipleship Pathway. I'd love to talk with you about it sometime. Talk to one guy after first service who was interested. It's not, the, it's not perfect, it's not the end all, but it's a beginning to an incredible journey of faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for paying it all, for purchasing not just our salvation at the cross, but for arranging for us to have this incredible transformation that Jesus alone can provide. Father, keep us from being deceived into thinking that it has to be up to us. We have to fend for ourselves instead of allowing you to grow us and change us and transform us into the image of Jesus. And let us experience the wonderful joy you intend for us to know as your children and his followers. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory and amen. Let's stand and finish with uh, reading Ephesians 3 as a benediction, if we can get it up there. Yes. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless. Go in peace. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.